gentlemen, Legionnaires, welcome to this, your Legion of Myth live stream, episode number 177 on this wonderful day in August 25th, 2018. Beautiful day here. I don't know what it is where you are, but I'm feeling it. Now, normally you'd be hearing the dulcet tones of Alex Garthon Marshall along with me, Brett Heathendog, but that's not going to happen today. No, 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 no. See, it seems that uh, Garthon is in a Mossad detention facility for... Obviously, incorrect charges, but instead today we have... Just a second. There, there we go. And then Duncan flies away because he's on camera. Oh, the cat. The cat did it. All right, well, uh, uh, Duncan's going to be with us as guest host for us today because... Obviously, Garthon is gone, and he's going to help me with my segment because it has a little bit of biology in it, and we're going to need to talk about that. And mine is a tabletop fundamental. We're talking about Eclipse Phase, first edition. Now, they're coming out with a second edition very, very soon. Yeah. Now and, I'm back. There oh, go. there you go. They're coming out with a second edition very, very soon, and so we're going to go over the backstory. Now, I'm at, I'm all but 100% certain. High production value. That's right, Spectral Fire. That's right. Yep, when when you allow cats into the into the into the mix, everything goes wrong. Yes, exactly. And it was like, okay, that cat's sleeping. He'll be good. He'll be good. He'll be good. And then all of a sudden, meow, meow, meow. so yeah, I had. Yeah, to that's go. what happens. That cats. That's why you know. That's why cats are cats. All right, uh, I'm I'm almost entirely certain the backstory is not going to change because it's so rich and awesome that you know why why touch something so great. So we're going to go over the backstory, and then with Duncan's neon spotlight, we're going to have a little retrospective. Halo Combat Evolved. Halo 1. Yes. We're going to go over its backstory. We're going to talk about uh, how it came to be, how it was revolutionary in the day, and if it actually still has some relevance in current Halo iterations. That's what I want to know. And then after that, we're going to have a little problem. We're, it's, it's, all, it's, all around, it's all around YouTube. That's just the way it is. It's all around it's YouTube, all around problem. Reddit, all around Twitter. Did Star Trek Discovery steal the space tardigrade idea no is stolen. next <laughs> duncan has lots and lots of ideas on that but he's gonna have to hold his hold his no, tongue until, until the rg actually happens but let's go ahead got, and oh. hey i know first we have to give some special thanks to our subscribers for twitch and nah. patreon thank you very much you keep the lights on around here and i appreciate it and except for cats the production value is only getting better so that's yes. great Actually, it'll get better if AEI Judge Cat gets around here. And then, of course, we have our top donators from Steam Labs, uh, Stream Lab, uh, Steam Lab, sorry, and uh, Twitch Cheers, and of course, video games. Now, uh, Baldahar uh, exists in many of these levels because Baldahar has been an amazing uh, fan to the show and really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes. And of course, if you like, subscribe, and comment, you can do so on any of these platforms you see below me right now. And you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music, or any good uh podcast podcast aggregate anywhere i don't recommend anything in russia usually that's just trying to get your credit card information don't do that now you can support us other ways in legion of myth by a patreon subscription Streamlabs course and our gear right here and uh duncan are you wearing your shirt um no my shirt is in the corner right now you so are an awful awful guest host I and of course you ah, stop it stop it on. and of course you can cheer anytime you want typing in cheer and then the number and show us your instantaneous gratitude for whatever you think we're doing right or wrong. Okay, now, the disclaimer. Very important. It's a tardigrade disclaimer. It's very important. All right? 
The opinions expressed in this episode are solely the opinions of the individual host or commentator and are not representative of the entire Legion of Myth organization. While we make an effort to provide a family-friendly atmosphere, there may be the occasional use of foul or offensive language, especially by Duncan Idaho later on. Thank you for your understanding and continued viewership. No sure, Duncan, you're fired. Jurgen says you're fired. Get out. You're uh, apparently fired from several platforms. Dang it. It's not within reach. I can see it over there. <laughs> Too late now. Too late now. You done messed up. Yeah, I, I, I used my one get up during the stream. Yeah, yeah, uh, to, to get rid of a cat. I know. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and continue on to our first segment. Uh, we're talking about Eclipse Phase. RPG came out. You know what? I'm going to show you when it came out. Uh, publication date was 2009. That's when this little puppy came out. Publisher Post Human Studios. And if you want to get this yourself, uh, you can get it on DriveThruRPG for $19.99 in a PDF. Special, the core book itself is a Creative Commons license, which means you can download it for free as long as it is not watermarked. You can download it and distribute it as long as you don't sell it for free. But if you want the hardcover, you can get the hardcover for $50, Draft Your RPG, or you can go to eBay and get it for $30 plus shipping. Those are your options. Now, let's talk about Eclipse Phase. This has some... Wow. Uh, the, the backstory in this is absolutely amazing. I haven't had as good a backstory as this since Rift's Chaos Earth. And Rift's Chaos Earth took, uh, took two segments to explain the backstory, and this one's going to as well. First, let's give you the unfortunate future. Uh, a rundown of everything that happened. Quick bullet points. Earth is boned. It's destroyed. Uh, climate, change, climate change made the world less and less habitable. Uh, wars for food, water, and energy decimated. Just the planet. Just killed it. Uh... Uh, technology trying to uh well people making technology trying to save themselves created sentient ai and in true terminator fashion they took one look around and went nah and uh the skynet wars happened and so humans digitizing themselves their consciousness into uploading their consciousness into hard drives fled into space from the horrible AIs that want to kill them and from a dying planet that can no longer support them. Of course, the space has much less resources than you'd think or must much less uh, resources that are readily available than, than you may think. So most people live in computers, if you call that living. Uh, like 95% of the population, I think, is still digitized. The rest of the 5% have either clone bodies, robot bodies, or synthetic bodies, hybrid bodies. So, hey, this is the world you live in. This is the role-playing game. This is where you are. Boom. Have fun. Am I going to leave it at that? Of course not. I'm going to tell you how we got there. It's a long road. A long road to this dystopian, I would say, love, uh, Lovecraftian-esque future. So we're going to start off with page one. We're going to give a shout-out to Al Gore. That's right. His inconvenient truth became the inconvenient future. Now, he told us all back in the day. Oh, that's right, back in the day, that climate change is going to ruin the world if we don't do something to stop it. Well, in this game, he was absolutely right. Uh, the weather became increasingly devastating. Severe weather changes, ecosystems. What I mean by changing ecosystems is uh, when, when weather changes, linchpin species, species that uh, exist in a certain ecosystem, their, their existence is needed 
in that ecosystem to keep it functioning, like, say, honeybees, for example. Honeybees are necessary for pollinization of trees and flowers and whatnot. Without that, it starts a domino effect uh, with whole ecosystems collapsing. Now, coastal cities become uninhabitable. Why? Well, the uh, rising global average temperatures cause ice caps to melt, glaciers to shrink, and all of that water goes into the ocean. All of that water going in the ocean raises the coastline up and up and up. And between 75 and 80% of all people currently living on this planet live on or near a coast. So guess what? The refugees literally run for higher ground. And of course, of course, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Of course, crops are starting to fail. Growing seasons shrink as weather becomes inconsistent, storms become more powerful, uh, the, the effective growing season of any crop shrinks to the point where you can no longer feed the people that you have. And how do governments respond to this? Well, they seal their borders to refugees, obviously. I mean, that's step one. And then go to war for the diminishing resources for the rest. That's step two. I mean, come on. That's just global, global politics 101, right? Duncan, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's thinking, right. I thought about like, hmm, can I make a potato joke in here somewhere? A potato yeah. joke, yeah, a potato famine joke. I don't think we are out of potatoes. The robots—they—they they, they control us now. No, I don't think that's—I don't think that's appropriate. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so so here we are. The 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 weather's going to crap. Of course, I'm going to use that now. Ah, there you go. Uh, the the weather the weather's going to crap. Everything's going bad. What happens next? Well, technology can save us, man. Techno oh, there's another tardigrade. What? Max Leal, why are all the tardigrades here? Stop it. They're running. They're running They're amok. Running. There's no tardigrades in eclipse phase. Stop it. Corporations thinking ahead decide to expand to the stars. Expand. The Earth is doomed. Rather than affect their profits on the ground, by trying things like, oh, not pollute the environment as much, uh, uh, releasing renewable forms of energy that oil companies have bought up and shelved to make sure that oil is, is big and will always stay big. Uh, to all of these things, to make sure that all of that doesn't happen, they keep their profit chain running, they decide to start exploring space. So they, they pour all of their R&D into that. So they, they start construction on space elevators to make getting to space very, very cheap. And they used uh, automated mini probes. They sent them out in, into, into the solar system to map it, to see where all the resources are, all the right asteroids, chunks of ice that can be mined for water, chunks of, uh, of metal that can be mined for construction resources. And this in turn uh, helped start construction on colonies on, on the moon, Luna, on Mars and on Lagrange point stations. Uh, uh, Lagrange points are points in the solar system where gravity is, effectu is effectively canceled out, is neutralized. So it takes little or no energy to keep an object in that point, that relative point in space. So it's a perfect place to build a space station. You can keep it in the same place, relatively, obviously everything in space is relative, and it'll take little or no energy to do that. Great. Okay, and now cold fusion reactors are a reality because you have to power these space stations with something and it's not going to be oil, not for much longer. <laughs> the diesel generators ain't going to cut it. Solar power is great, especially in space, 
but no, the, there's just too much need. So they had to come up with cold fusion. And I, I am pretty sure the oil companies just dusted the, the, uh, the blueprints for cold fusion off the shelf they bought in the 1970s and, sh- and then just put it into action. Now, outside any national laws, obviously space is basically a maritime law. You're, you're in international waters. No, 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 no countries laws have, have uh, real sway on you. So they can start normally illegal experiments, life extension techniques. I'm talking, uh, taking the average life expectancy from say 80 to 90 to 180, 190. Cybernetic implants, uh, your failing heart will give you a new heart. Your failing eye will give you a new eye. Bionic eye, you can x-ray eye, can see through things. Oh, you lost your arm? Oh, we'll give you a cybernetic arm, it'll be awesome. Look at that. Look just as good. Just as good as a real thing. That's great. Human cloning. Oh, no one on Earth likes that, but in space, shh, quiet. It's all good. Don't worry. It's all good. The rich and powerful are gonna are gonna just transfer one day, transfer their bodies. Well, at this point, they they can't just transfer their consciousness from one body to another, but they're thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe we could uh, transplant the brain from an, a dying body to a younger version of itself. Maybe we can do that. And the rich love this idea. Ooh, they love it. Oh, uh, Max Liao needs new eyes. He's in. It's true. His his, his glasses actually. If he, if he takes off his glasses and he angles them in the light just right, they can make a laser beam. <laughs> it's, it's, it's no joke. He he's, he burned ants as, as a child. It's true. All right. Now, uh, they also experiment with animals because hey, you don't want to experiment with people right away. I mean, sure, corporations don't have the ethics you want them to, but they're not completely evil. So they they experiment with animals first, and the first thing they do is uh, try to raise their IQ. And wow, but for some species, it worked out. Chimpanzees, orangutans, they started talking. Hey, how you doing? I like bananas. Why am I in a cage? You know, qu- questions like that come up every every so often. All right, so you think, well, technology, it can save us. All of this can help the Earth, right? No, man. Yep. No. <laughs> Because the corps don't care. They're now hyper-corporations. They have more wealth than you can possibly dream of. Mining the solar system, at first a costly venture, now has given them resources beyond that which the Earth could ever provide. They are gods unto themselves. And they decide to, to be magnanimous and build fortresses on the earth so people can be protected from the changing climate and the horrible weather and the wars and this is a thinly veiled test of building actual colonies in space large-scale space station at these lagrange points i was talking about earlier now they're they're not really trying to help people this is just all beta testing r&d basically alpha testing really yeah. you want to get down to it <laughs> so as the as the world starts it's slow spiral to the through its road of ruin when the earth's people become mostly have have nots and you think that's now no no when 99.99% of the world is in abject poverty and 0.0001% have everything you get terrorism and extremism becoming rampant you think it's bad now no every neighborhood in the world has a terrorist cell now because Breed, uh, terrorism breeds in in places of oppressed hopelessness. Extremism breeds in uh, places where education is 
no longer an option where where uh preventable famine and sickness run wild there's people to blame there's something to rally against all it takes is one charismatic guy with a dream of blowing something up and then you have a new terrorist organization they start cropping up left and right all day long governments are blamed because it's obviously their fault well they made mistakes to be fair you know closing borders hoarding hoarding resources going to war with each other but uh there just really isn't that much anymore to be fair they're not holding back that much as much as the people think the people think they're holding back treasure troves of food and medicine and technology no they're not they're holding back just enough to keep themselves viable the rest is literally gone but that doesn't matter these uh these terrorists and extremists uh, start revolutions everywhere countries are falling like dominoes left and right dropping like prom dresses it's crazy it's mass hysteria on the earth the war is intensified because of dwindling resources and uh lack of uh, a governmental control even if there is a government in that region anymore warlords are popping up left and right when governments fall most global life expectancies at this point drop dramatically over the last hundred years life expectancies have risen at a precipitous rate and up up until this point it was to you could live to be 150 200 years old this is in the future by the way but now they start dropping as as the, the technology is there the medicine is there it's just not getting to anyone who needs it so people are dying in childbirth again people are dying of polio people are dying of measles and mumps when such a thing even nowadays is all but unheard of well hey it's the end of the world man i told you this in the beginning of this game this this was not going to be a fun time i told you now hypercorps to the rescue that'll never happen again i'll never say that again <laughs> that, that'll never come out of my mouth again now uh witnessing the upheaval on earth the hypercorps reached out to help I forgot to put the quotes in there. I had to do it myself. See, they, they just want a workforce for their new uh, space colonies they've perfected. So, in exchange for the option to work for life at their at their many colonies they've created, we will take you away from that dirt hole of the Earth. And hundreds of thousands of people were like, dude, sign me up. This place is hell. And they're right. I mean, the corporations were being greedy, selfish, awful, but even complete indentured servitude for the remainder of your life is better than dying at 16 of starvation, literally in a gutter, which is what most of the population of the earth have to look forward to. Yay. Now, with this expanded work workforce, the Hypercorp Science Division goes into overdrive. Uh, Duncan and I, we, we spoke about this earlier. Uh, the, the Ouroboros uh, snake, the, the idea that uh, the snake uh, eating, feeding on itself. And that, that's exactly what technology was doing at this point. There's a breakthrough in biotech. And that breakthrough uh, creates a breakthrough in computer technology. And that computer technology creates a breakthrough in nanotechnology. And in turn, that nanotechnology makes a break, another breakthrough in biotechnology. And this circle just keeps going, spiraling, 
ever more great discoveries happening once or twice a year and not just like it is now where yes they make breakthroughs and then 10 years down the road maybe there'll be an application for it no I'm talking there's a breakthrough in January there's an applic there's an application a real world application for this breakthrough by November that's how quickly technology is spiraling out now actual AI is completed a computer that can actually learn on its own passes any test Turing or otherwise that you give it it is a real thinking being augmented reality becomes commonplace well obviously you have to keep the masses down somehow right you create an actual virtual ai which is you know better than real life and people will stay in it and not cause trouble so yeah of course you do that now they, this is where they also create implants uh a la um altered carbon uh of course this came out in 2009 so you know but but the the, the books for altered carbon predate so this is this isn't a new idea okay Everyone's had this idea at some point. I'm not, I'm not saying that anyone stole anything. All right. Now, implants allowing the upload of human consciousness is perfected. This is the point where humanity becomes transhumanity. Everything else before this was just humanity using technology to realize the full potential of their, of their normal evolution. We didn't expand uh, lifespan beyond what a human body was actually capable of until now this is actual transhumanity max says this guy this game sounds better than the uh than altered carbon altered carbon was was a it was a really fun show i really liked it uh that they had some had some issues but i don't want to get off track on that but this is yeah. an important aside i want to take us aside for a second to talk about transhumanity and i'm going to ask duncan to chime in on this because because uh, he's much more of a, uh, knowledgeable in this than i am now the oxford definition of transhumanity is the belief that the human race can evolve beyond its current physical and mental limitations, especially by means of science and technology. Now, my definition of transhumanity is a bypassed proper evolution experience using science and technology without the required wisdom and experience to not screw everything up. Now, Duncan and I were talking a little bit about this yesterday. Yeah. H human evolution is an ongoing process process it happens every day every day there is uh, an alteration to someone's dna now 99 percent of the time it does nothing it's it just does it just exists and nothing comes about it uh it doesn't work so it dies out it, it causes cancer uh or a little bit of the time uh, the gene alteration creates a trait that is uh, favorable to the species. And then this gets propagated throughout the species, throughout many decades, centuries, even thousands of years, until it permeates the species. Now, this takes time. This takes time, this, this gradual change. This takes time. People have time to accept it, to come to terms with it. This transhumanity with within a literal couple of decades you've made people immortal this yeah, takes time to wrap your head around that duncan i, I want you to, to explain uh why this most likely is not going to end well so what it basically amounts to is that you've changed the biological playing field about how entities evolve 
And in that sense, you are taking an intelligence that has evolved for a very particular set of circumstances and all the baggage that accompanies it. So it's adapted to live in a social environment. It's adapted to live in a spatial environment and adapted to go through a certain life cycle. If you remove that, the psychological effect that has on the individual cannot be predicted, at least readily. It is something completely new. And in that sense, it is like there are likely to be problems, especially if it's occurred suddenly because society will not have had the time to basically gauge the impact or do proper modeling on what the impact's gonna be. You're basically just doing a sudden shock shift and the result is basically kaboom. Because now a lot of dependencies in the environment go away. And right. this also the equivalent to basically take every member of government now and make them immortal. What does that do to society? The structure of society essentially at that point becomes something completely different. Right. right. Now, uh, there, there is an argument to be said that transhumanity is no longer a human being. The, because the biological, like ba the basic parameters from which they operate are probably going to be very different. Their yes. intelligence will be derived from a human, but because they're no longer operating on the same playing field. I'm going to say playing, playing field. field. Yeah. Basically say that they are a copy of humanity put into a different environment being a virtual environment. Right. Socially, socially completely different animal. Yeah. The, the way so, they look at the world with uh, with with uh, with the idea of immortality, the way they look mm -hmm. at the world is going to be completely different. Yeah. So it's not just building an AI. It is in one step basically making an animal AI and then seeing what does that do to that psychology that hasn't been adapted to live in that environment, to yes. function in that environment. No. So. Yeah, that's actually true. So, uh, so uh, what what do you think the odds are that uh, uh, transhumanity actually uh, being beneficial to to people who are not transhumanity? Given the corporations involved, probably zero. Zero, you think? Zero, yeah. all the way to zero. There's not a little bit of chance. Not with these corporations. No, <laughs> the first thing they're gonna do is basically like, okay, I'm Zeus now. Die. <laughs> Maximilian votes trans. I mean, these, trans this trans is basically, I'm going to become a boss fight. That's kind of it in this setting. It's like, I have made myself such a problem for society. I've done so much to make myself the ultimate antagonist, and I am giving myself effective superpowers. I can put myself in a robot tank and then say, come at me. And probably without consequences. Yeah, because even if you die... Yeah, right. The, at the moment before your tank body is is destroyed, you can upload your consciousness to uh, somewhere else, ten thousand miles away, whatever. I've got a Gundam in reserve. <laughs> yeah, basically, yes. You can upload yourself to a Gundam. They don't have them here. If they did, that'd be awesome. But no, oh, no, no. Don't. They can work those out yeah, in probably, pretty short time. I think. Probably yes. Probably yes. But uh, yeah, the 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 vast social difference between humanity and transhumanity, in my opinion, makes them. A, a, a different species. Now, I'm going to say a superior one. A superior species. They will definitely think so. And, yeah, they can't, can't yeah. be killed easily is a pretty good yeah. step in that direction, but 
yeah, a lot of their position does require the system. Yes, that so is true. Let's but... basically say there's that one sense of, in a long-term evolutionary point of view, it's doomed. You could because... say that. You could say that, yes, because they, they are no longer tied to physical biology, which means they are no longer tied to normal evolutionary processes. Yeah, it's they're entirely chained to their society operating as it is and in an analogous way to support their godhood yes. because if you don't have the infrastructure you don't have the being ah that's that's so. that's the thing the corporations made sure the infrastructure exists and exists forever with the with the cold fusion and all of the space stations the lunar station the mars station all of them are connected via wi-fi you thought wi-fi was cool now it's actually called the mesh net where everything is connected throughout the entire solar system. That means a, a transhuman can die on Earth and be uploaded to Mars with this, with what however, however however many minutes it takes for energy to travel that far from Earth to Mars. So it's yeah 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 very, uh, very much like altered carbon you no longer yeah. have to have to uh fear age illness or accident yeah the only so, thing transhumanity has in common with humanity is the idea of murder both are possibility for each species <laughs> except in transhumanity it's, it's much more difficult mesh net sounds like a bad hair well, product i didn't name it okay <laughs> Is it within group murder or between group murder? Because I have a feeling that these guys would have absolutely no problem exterminating their underlings, yeah. but fighting each other is going to be a bit more difficult. Yes, yes, you have to, uh, because obviously they're 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 hitting a, a technological fight. Uh, a, tra a transhuman who wants to kill another transhuman has a problem. The problem being is that everyone's put up safeguards to make sure that that your upload cannot be destroyed, but you have to destroy someone's upload to, to actually kill them or else the pro your problem, which is the other, the other transhuman is not going to go away. This is a constant struggle, constant struggle. Now you could say that this is transhumanity's evolution, the constant struggle to stay alive from each other, which funnily enough, uh, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I should say funnily enough, but interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, humanity throughout our wars, our greatest advancements in technology were accomplished. So the greatest advancements in transhumanity uh -oh. would, would probably be their wars with each other. Their wars with humanity would be beneath them, in my mind. They just it, exterminate them, whatever. We don't care about them. It has the feeling of a um, war within the Q continuum. Yes. I mean, oh, man, you, you think transhumanity and humanity are that far apart? I mean, not like as far as the going down, but just sort of between each other with how you're interacting on that digital plane. What types of weapons do you develop? How do you handle the enemy consciousness? That's true. That's you true. You go for the physical structure, but it's like, well, yeah. what if I start dinging them where it hurts? Right, right. I mean, uh, to a human, a transhuman fight is incomprehensible. I mean, yeah. Yeah, a, 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 a fight that, that, that purely exists as, as basically electrons and thought would be incomprehensible to a non-transhuman. Yeah. Yeah, so it, so technically, yes, it would be on a completely different plane of existence. So we're going to leave transhumanity at that. We are, because uh, 
there's there's a lot for next time okay uh next time earth and space have issues uh obviously transhumanity and humanity we've talked about it they're probably not going to get along well guess what duncan was right they don't self-replicating ai becomes a problem remember uh they, they just perfected ai and then someone made the really cool idea to give this ai the ability to make more ai how does that unfold guess oh let's see did they go because that's going to be one of the dangers of transhumanity is something in the same environment that can kind of go after them a little bit exactly yes now now the the skynet which i'm calling i'm just calling it skynet for now i mean the, the 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 game has a name for the for this ai aggressor which i will get into next time but for now let's call it skynet and it precipitates the fall of, of earth the actual fall what people now call the fall when earth is just done stick a fork in it it's it's all the way to its soft horrible rotten center it's done except for the no camera the camera uh, oh yeah except for the tardigrades That's they right. will survive <laughs> the tardigrades will survive now humanity survived just, just like the tardigrade in discovery he left Yes. Humanity left Earth. <laughs> okay, bye bye. We gone. There's another yeah. telegram. I just noticed that. Damn it. Anyway, uh, and then uh, human beings, having having mapped the solar system, uh, continue their mapping process into the outer solar system and find Pandora gates, which I will get into later. And then at the end of the backstory, aliens come to visit. Ooh. Are they here to say hi, or are they here to say uh, the 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 roaches got to go? <laughs> How did you screw this up? You so have badly. Pottery, grain, <laughs> agriculture, and when you got advanced technology, you put yourselves on the computers and started killing each other. Yep. Come on. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Who knows what the aliens think of us? Who knows? See. They now. Now. Uh. uh trying to compare human psychology to an alien psychology is the same thing as trying to compare humanity to transhumanity. There is no precedent for it. So we don't know what they're going to think of us yet. But we I will next time. Would differ on that a little bit because it is an animal and from a spatial environment. So I think it would be closer to convergent evolution. Perhaps, but then looking at two different formats, we, we we would have no experience to do it properly though. So no, yeah. Anyway, so that is it uh, for part one of the backstory of Eclipse Phase First Edition. Remember, Second Edition is coming out, and I have credited uh, all of. Uh, the, the, the creators in the in the uh, in the credits at the end of our show and of course will be annotated on YouTube in the description now don't miss an episode follow us on Twitch right now click that notification button and then subscribe yes you, you can subscribe and trust me subscribers get more not lying to you especially YouTube subscribe click that little button for notifications we're dropping stuff uh, every every week definitely every week two, two three times a week and I have a backlog of old uh, uh, Foundry Mission episodes that I have not set up on YouTube yet. So uh, starting Monday, they're going to start dropping every other day. Sorry if I was a little bit quiet because I realized to put the wrong earbud in. Okay, because I was turning you up. Now you're super loud. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's because I was... There's two. One has a microphone. One doesn't. And yeah. Okay, so. Well, that's good. (laughs) Uh wonderful okay so 
we, we've gotten past that hurdle. One hurdle gone. All right. Now, of course, uh, on, on YouTube, you can see all of my my heathen dogma, all segments on anime and RPGs. And, of course, my team-ups with Garth on the Neverwinter and Star Trek Online. And all of my past streams, uh, Star Trek Online, go, th go through the content from level 1 to level 65 without spending a dime. With and the most all of the officer in Starfleet. With the most unhealthy officer in Starfleet. That's right. Buck Fats McCool. And of course, all the other games that I've, I've uh, done to completion. And my stream, Sin of the Solar Empire, Rebellion Mods. Uh, mods only. I'm currently doing a Stargate invasion mod. So uh, I put out a Twitter poll, and Twitter wanted me to play the Azurans, which are the uh, ancient form nanites. So they have they have uh, they have uh, um, Stargate Atlantis level ancient technology, which is cool. Watching all the little drones fly around and just kill folk all day long, that's pretty awesome. Anyway, anyway, I'm only doing mods. After this one, I'm going to do Star Trek. Then I'm going to do Star Wars. They got all kinds of mods. I'm going to try them all. It's a neat platform game. It is. It it's is like it's a really good deep strategy game. Has some great mechanics. And it's just like, yeah, but I wish it just was for this franchise or that franchise. So yeah, I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited to see these. Yeah. I played the Star Trek one, and so far the Stargate one's shaping up pretty good. But I did notice they didn't change one of the star bases because it's like it fits. Yeah, yeah, this the one of the star bases. It's not, the uh, the the Guauld bases are all changed. They're all they're yeah. all equal to the show. They yeah, for, for, for 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 the Azurans they missed one. Yeah, I think they missed one, yeah, but that's not. You know, it's it's it was, this is one guy. What are you gonna do? Asgard is Noro's favorite. Asgard should be coming at the end of the year. The Asgard and the Ori are slated to be new playable races, hopefully by the end of the year. So there you go. Now, it's time for Neon Spotlight with Duncan Idaho. Duncan, what are we going to talk about today? We are talking about Halo Combat Evolved, the very first game in the Halo series, Halo 1. So to start off with the particulars here, it was published by Microsoft. Studio is Bungie, sometimes called Bungie Studios or Bungie LLC. Platform, the original Xbox, way back November 15th, 2001, when this thing shipped. And has since been released on PC via physical medium, so you can't get it on Steam, hmm. or uh, the uh, Xbox Live service. Um, it's also been released onto the Xbox 360 through the Anniversary Edition of Halo, sure. and it's also been released to the Xbox One via the Master Chief Collection. Okay, so you have to so, buy the whole collection to get to get uh, Combat Evolved. But it's the price of a full. It's the price of a standard game. Oh, okay. You just get you just get Halo all the Combat old games. Evolved, Halo Two, Halo Three, okay. Halo okay. ODST, and Halo Four. Okay, great. Hey, yeah, good. it's, it's that's, a good deal. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, so starting off with this thing, it's got. A deep but relatively simple backstory. Humanity, it's about the year, um, yeah, let's see, it's in the 20s, I think it's 2550s. And humanity is screwed. Really, really, really screwed. We're under attack from a fanatic alien sect called the Covenant. We used to have a relatively large trading empire, or not trading empire, but like a big set of colonies. We had some space, we had some civic development, we actually had space infrastructure, kind of like Federation and Star Trek. Sure. That got wiped out completely. The last military outpost just before Halo Combat Evolved Reach was just destroyed. There was a valiant last stand, and we failed to stop the Covenant. They wiped out the planet okay. galactically. This, this, this whole Covenant thing is going to be explained later on, right? 
Yes. Okay, good. All right, good. All right, because so I'm lost. Covenant, alien species. Okay. They want to kill us. Got it. So, Check. From this battle, this valiant battle, one ship survives. That's it. That's the only thing that made it out. And it's, you think like, hey, maybe it's, you know, ship of destiny, ship of, you know, power, it'll win us the war. Nope. It's a completely ordinary Halcyon class cruiser. Nothing special about it. It just happened to get away. So well, now you, you said it made a blind jump. So the captain's got brass, you know, cojones at least. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's just like, you know, we're in a position. The planet's gone. We've got what we've been able to salvage from the planet. One guy. <laughs> we'll get to him in a minute. Um, so he made a blind slope space jump. The thing is, is that when you do that, it's not like you know instantaneous travel. You leave a hole in space that people can basically follow you through. Oh, that's unfortunate. So, we haven't invaded the Covenant yet, so we can't go back to Earth, because they're still riding on our tails. Sure. And they arrived at the destination before we did, because their ships are faster. Oh, super. So, yeah, so that's that's the Covenant. They're, they are jerks, so moving on to those guys. Okay, this is the Covenant. All right, and there's more tart. Damn it, Max, seriously? Yeah, it, Max has had his way with our slides. No kidding. I had nice and wonderful bullet points here, but they have been replaced by pretender tardigrades. Yes, they have. <laughs> um, the Covenant is a multi-species religion united under one banner, just the Covenant. So it okay. is a uniting force between all these species. It has brought peace to them. They are able to coexist together. Not in harmony, though, because as much as they might be united, they are not equals. Each ah. species has a different role within the Covenant and a different rank within the Covenant. On okay. the top of the pile, as they appear in Combat Evolved, we've got the elites, the gold guys in the upper right. They are the military commanders. They lead the ground forces and the space forces of the Covenant. They are proud warriors, ritualistic, and... And wait, which ones are they? Gold, upper right gold guy. Gold guy, okay. Energy sword. All right, gotcha. Oh, energy sword. So Check, got it. Just right. think warrior samurai with ninja for whatever that means, and you kind of got the elites down pat they're like they're honorable in later games um okay. but in this one they are the covenant they are ruthless they are efficient in battle sure and they show no mercy um below them are the jackals these guys are the skirmishers they used to be pirates and which one and of them are the, in the picture they are the upper left the guys with the energy shields oh, okay okay gotcha as their defining feature in battle, because these guys also have different military strategies too. Well, sure, they probably carry over from yeah. their pre-covenant existence. So the jackals have integrated themselves as this phalanx unit. <laughs> Max says the theme of this episode, the whole episode, is humans can't do anything right. No. So <laughs> the jackals here, these are the skirmishers. They're sneaky and they are able to sort of flank around, and they're kind of the ones who would stab you in the back, just in terms of their um, if it benefited them. Their personality. Yeah. Yeah. So. You got the hunters then, just below them. The big guys, blue armor, blue spiky spikes. armor. Okay, gotcha. These guys are not humanoids. These guys are amalgamations of worms that have formed a sentient colony. They are huge. Wait a minute, what? Like wasn't there a Rick and Morty episode about an amalgam? Uh, no, no, uh, no, he was ants. He was ants. Never mind. Sorry. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. So, All right. Yeah. So kind of like that. But these guys, it's a hive intelligence of these worms. They can be scaled up, and they do so in later games, but for this one, you've just got the standard Hunter unit. Oh, uh, uh, Carisu, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. No, we were talking about the very first Halo, Halo 1, Halo Combat Evolved. We're talking about the backstory of it. 
uh, where, where, where the covenant came from, how they first appeared and, uh, and all their motivations and all that stuff. So if you want to stick around for that, that, that'd be, that'd be great. Oh yeah. Sorry. Go so ahead. the hunters though, the one quirk about their personality is that they've got a lot of heavy armor, but they also operate in pairs. There's something about them. They always like to have two for those colonies. Just a little quirk of their psychology. You see it in all deployments. You never see a hunter by itself. It's always got a. It's always got a partner. Like a mated pair or just a buddy. Mated pair, but it's not clear like they, it has anything to do with like biology. It's sort of more their ritual. Like it's okay. it seems more cultural. Okay, gotcha. So they are the heavy units. They're below. I think below in status from the jackals. Kind of almost treated as more grunts. machines than the covenant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the the the, the grunts you send out to take all the bullets. No, actually, that's the grunts. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, but you have the listed as comic relief. I didn't think. Oh. Yeah, so the grunts, they are frontline cannon fodder. They are what you just throw into battle to soften the enemy up. You have no concern for their losses. Awesome. They are just basically, you throw them in regardless. You have minimal equipment. These guys are coming from a very cold world. They require life support to live in this environment. So they've got a methane breathe mask. They've got awesome. heavy equipment. They're not well suited for this. And then this also shows in terms of their personality because the grunts, they do not like being here. Well, no, I wouldn't and, like being here either in, in a place that actually will kill me if I take off my helmet. Yeah, and and it, and for these guys, they are the only of these species in the first game that speak English for some reason. Because these really? guys are dumb. They kind of got the grasp of it, so it's sort of unclear whether it's translated or they've adopted English as sort of like an internal language or to or maybe they have get a around the translator in their helmets i don't know maybe so yeah. it's something that i think they've probably talked about in one of the books by now but as far as the game goes you've got all these alien noises and sort of an attempt to create language out of these guys the elites being the most vocal and well i got louder again well no i i, I I've, I've been slowly adjusting your volume so the um but the grunts though they'll when do you kill it? Like, if you take out the higher level units, it's like, well, the elites are dead. I'm just going to run because these guys are only brave if either there's no alternative or they're being led from behind. Gotcha. So that's the Covenant. It's a, it's a multi-PC group using a lot of energy weapon. They've got a lot of tech, and they are out to kill humanity. And there is only one thing that has kind of worked against them. And what's that? The Spartans. These are humans who have been augmented with crazy levels of physical enhancements, bone as strong as steel, muscles able to use that. Here, just a second. No, 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 no. Podcast. Family member coming in. Sorry about that. Okay. Ah, so anyway. <laughs> Woo! Okay, so... um with the uh, Spartans, hugely strong just by themselves. They are essentially demigods that have been created through artificial means. But it hasn't been sort of a gift bestowed on top of people. It is a um, something that the military government has done as a secret weapons program. They abducted children, indoctrinated them into this, pro uh, this program, sure. and then... Um, yeah, it, it, they, they, it was really a corporate, like, it's basically, it's a corporation, like, a hyper-corporation thing to do hmm. before the Covenant War. But it ultimately paid off. Because while these guys were intended to fight human insurrectionists, 
and they got a little bit of deployment with that, the first thing they were really hit by was the covenant. Right. Yeah. It was just so, it was too. They just came too soon. Yeah. yeah. So, actually, it was it wasn't even a matter of too soon. There was kind of like almost the right time for them because they've had they have this power armor, and they have the soldiers to use it. Mm-hmm. So in conjunction, they're unstoppable in the ground. Sure. The covenant, as advanced as they are, have been getting pummeled by the Spartans. But the Spartans have also been taking heavy losses. Because in addition to normal warfare and the fact that the Covenant, the Covenant does have really big plasma weapons, the uh, the Covenant is still superior in space. Right. All, all their, all their super space out. weapons are just Yeah, awesome. the, the ratio of losses is appalling between one Covenant cruiser and the rest of the UNSC fleet. Wow. So the Spartans are down to one. At the start dude, of Halo seriously, 1. Halo One, you have there is literally just one dude left, but it's you. Oh, so the you player character, awesome! All right, it is the player character. His name in the game, his title is the Master Chief. The um, his real name, John, just a kid adopted, and has basically just been going along with this. He's a pretty reasonable guy. He's not like this idealist. He's not morose about it. He's just like, yeah, I'm just doing it. I don't know, we're, we're, we're fighting the Covenant, and he doesn't talk much. So it's sort of like this no personality, but it, it means so much in this setting to actually have this character who's not bellicose, who's not like this ultimate alpha male. Sure. That's just like, yeah, we're just going to pummel the guys. He, he's, he cannot do the speech. He is not the guy to stand up in front of, his, in front of soldiers he's leading and give them rowing. You know, we'll get them. He's just like... Okay, and then he just goes and he takes him out. A little bit like Mikazuki in Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans. A little bit like that. Okay, yes. Okay, I understand. All right. So, moving on, though, the Spartans do have one additional asset, and this was fielded very late in the war. And it is an advanced AI based on a human brain. The one the Master Chief has been paired with is Cortana. So she was based... It's a, it's a good thing Microsoft made this game. It's a good thing Microsoft made this game because, <laughs> I mean, eventually that's... They'd have to sue themselves. Us. It's weird, but okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of their weird branding things because you've probably heard Cortana from Windows sure. as the sort of pair to Siri. Yeah. And it's kind of the in-joke, but it was kind of weird because in Halo 5 they made her a supervillain for reasons that didn't go quite straight, and they're probably going to retcon that right away for Halo 6. Mm-hmm. But for Halo 1... She is based on the person, like she's based on the personality of the scientists, the sci- the chief scientists who created the Spartans, and a surrogate mother figure for the Master Chief. But and one, of, those, one of them's a, named Nicole, and Mar Hawkman has a link to Wiki to her. So if anyone watching wants to learn a little bit more about Nicole, they can go ahead and click on that link. Yeah. So the um, so the um, Cortana here, based on Doctor Halsey, kind of a peppier, younger version of her, mm-hmm. and her function is basically to do all the stuff that Spartans can't. So she is doing the information processing. The hacking and hacking, data, database sifting and, and information coding. gathering. Yeah, got it. Unit. She can fly a ship by herself. <laughs> so it's pretty good. And she's a little snarky. Just a little snarky. A little bit more expressive than the Master Chief, who has got that more robotic personality, but neither of them are per- particularly extreme. They just you notice a little bit, and they complement each other pretty well. So it's a pretty subtle but a pretty neat dynamic. Okay. So moving on, though, 
so we've got this setup. We've got we've got all this stuff for the the setup of the game. The the pillar of autumn, our ship, has made a blind slip space jump. We've got one Spartan and one AI and a ship full of dudes. Just regular dudes. We're we're probably gonna die. Yeah. Because the Covenant have already arrived at our location, except the blind slip space jump has discovered something that we did not anticipate. A massive alien installation of unknown origin. This is not Covenant, this is something else. Mm -hmm. And we have no idea what this thing is for. It is a giant ring with an internal habitable surface that you might see is just a little bit like Ringworld, only smaller, less elaborate, but that's okay. Yeah. It's this thing in space. We see it basically out the front window when we get out of slip space. And they're like, huh, it what changes do you know? the game. <laughs> it is. That. It is just like, you know, it's just this one thing. It's just like, okay, what do we do about this? So first of all, it's like we're under attack by the Covenant. They're going to destroy the ship in minutes. We got to launch the lifeboats. We actually have somewhere to put that crew now. Great. And then once we're down on that planet, we might be able to start or uh, down on the ring. We might be able to use it at least to hold off the Covenant. All right. So we, we might be able to lose less badly. Okay. So, so what's the plan? It's the campaign. So if we go to clip number one, it is our first little bit of gameplay. So looking right. at how combat plays out in this game. Okay, let's, do, let's, let's take a look to see how combat plays out. Halo 1. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, I I was like I said, I didn't check Twitter. I was supposed to be emailed these these clips, but uh, that didn't happen. So I did not check the uh, the sound levels. I just uh, put them in there. But don't worry. When when I bring up the next clip, I will immediately turn the sound down. Yeah, fifty percent <laughs> at the very least. Yes. So the game plan here is: we wake up from cryo on board the ship and fight the Covenant on board the ship. We get to a lifeboat, land on the ring. Got it. Well. Unfortunately, we crash land. Oh, and... great. No, they can't even fly. Come on. Yeah, so we have a really hard landing, and everyone on our lifeboat is killed except for the chief because he's got the power armor and the augmentations. Sure. So he survived the landing and basically has has to reunite with the military personnel. So that's the second or the uh, second mission. We land on the Halo Ring and fight the Covenant. So it's like, okay, great. We got a few dudes, but they captured our command corps, including our captain. So what do we do? We go rescue him. He's being held on a Covenant ship. We are going to go on that ship and get him off. And we fight the Covenant. That's what we do. So, okay. Awesome. We've got a captain. We've got a bunch of dudes. What do we do next? Okay, we need to find our way around the place. Let's go find a map. And we find one by fighting the Covenant. Okay, a map so of what? A map of the ring. Okay, and it's in, right. in its various facilities. So, right, right. weapons stores, power Ooh, supplies. Nice. Locations to hide in. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the control room. Because that might change the playing field here. If we can get to the control room, we might be able to control the ring and really start fighting the Covenant. Sure. So we fight lots of Covenant there. So, yeah, that is the first phase of the campaign. It is a military campaign against the Covenant on an alien installation, which remains incomprehensible. 
Got it. It is an enigma. And you're just wandering around these ruins trying to satisfy this other objective of just trying to survive. And it's like throughout this whole time, that's been in the background. We find the control room. And the first thing we realize when we, once we actually start getting a good idea of what this ring is about, we find that one of the weapon caches we sent the captain to isn't a weapons cache. What is it? It is something very, very dangerous. So we move to intercept in that mission. Is this is this phase two? Yeah, this is phase two. Okay, okay. So we move to find that in, we move to that installation and find a lot of dead guys. Wait, wait, wait who's uh, covenant dead guys or human dead? Both. Guys? Both. Okay. Like there has just been some serious fighting here. Okay. And once we get to it, like we're deep in a facility. Cortana is just, she's still in the control room. She basically said, no, you've just got to go get to stop the captain before he does this thing. Now, what, what is this thing? This thing is a macro, it's apocalyptic macro virus, truly apocalyptic. Virus is about the size of turkeys, which latch onto you and turn you into a giant host. Awesome. Goes around as a combat form. That's what we have in the upper right. Oh. That's an elite that's been turned into a flood combat form. Alrighty. It's called a flood because it literally will swamp over things, just completely come down like a wave, crash over things, and completely consume them. Eventually, that combat form internally produces more of the macroviruses, becomes a carrier form, which explodes, often on top of enemy infantry, sure. releasing more of these flood microviruses. And they are taking out everything humans covenant they are just going to town they have been given a food source so we find out that this thing is on the ring and the ring itself was developed by a species called the forerunner and what's left are the robot guardians so we've got the sentinels these are their main combat units but we also hey, got a monitor just cheered for 100 thank you very much Woo! appreciate it so we've got a monitoring AI, three for three guilty spark, who finally gives voice to the Halo ring. He says, "Hey, these <laughs> these um, flood are really really bad. We have to contain them. So let's go back to the control room and contain them." Okay. Well, what does containment mean? This species was not able to destroy the flood, hence why the flood was kind of here. Mm-hmm. All they can do is just prevent further infection by eliminating all macroscopic life that can support the flood. So basically, anything that's a large vertebrate, anything like that, large enough biomass, Halo kills it with a giant energy pulse. What, by by looking like the greatest place ever and attracting them? Um, more, More so, it's basically the entire structure of the ring is to produce this energy pulse... And everything on the interior is basically just detail. Oh. So the entire thing is just to create a pulse that permeates through the galaxy, probably through subspace, mm. that wipes out large life. Okay. Just completely obliterates them because that's the only solution that this species found for controlling the flood. You just have to stop the infection. These guys are so unstoppable. You just got to keep it from spreading by killing everything. You essentially set fire to the galaxy. Okay. Because then. Phase two sounds like uh, you the game turned sucky. Pretty yep. quick. Yep. Is, so is, is there let's three? go. There's a phase three, but let's go ahead and show clip two first. This okay. is you know just the the action in phase two, and 
Everyone, uh, volume down is very much advised because there's a tank. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna try and get the volume down as quick as I can. So. Yes. Stand by. All right. Taking down the volume. Oh, that was a big tank. That was a huge. Yep. I'm glad I got that before that. Oh, that was another one. Oh. This tank is pretty, pretty boss. Oh no! Don't, don't fall! Don't fall! No, no. Oh, it Power doesn't matter spot. if it falls. doesn't matter. Okay, great. Yeah, that's cool. Man, if, uh, if Nora had this in World of Tanks, she would have owned everybody. This is actually the most inaccurate tank in history. Because, <laughs> like, that reticle is about the size of its spread, and it is... It goes pretty nuts. It'll hit anything in that big square. It's basically... I'm using it as a close combat-like tool because it's kind of the best way to do it. <laughs> Later games, they, they make it more much more accurate, so then it becomes more tank-like. In this game, they're just trying stuff out. Sure. Also, I just remembered it had a machine gun. I, know, I wasn't using it. You were using a machine gun. All right, fair. Hey, you know, if, if you have a if you have a, a, a shotgun the, the size of a tank barrel, I wouldn't use a machine gun either. Nope. So, yeah, so that was basically just showing a little bit of the combat later in the game. So right. let's move on to this phase three. Okay. So things have gone a little pear-shaped. We find that... What our intention is basically, we're just we're supposed to just hit the button for the AI. He can't do it himself. We need to activate Halo. So to kill all of us. We, yeah. So he just he just wants the Master Chief. He is his reclaimer, and we've got a MacGuffin that he needs to activate the ring. Cortana has slipped back into our armor and is basically like, we gotta go, we gotta go. So we escape the kill bots. In the context of the Covenant still here, they're fighting the Flood. Humans are basically not a factor anymore. They, we, we're kind of getting wiped out. Yeah, yeah. So in this scenario. So it's basically the Master Chief must basically fight his way through this three-way war now between the Sentinels, the Flood, and the Covenant to try to basically blow up Halo because that is our solution. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, yeah. the Flood are here. If we blow up Halo, There's we no get rid flood. of the Flood. And if we blow up Halo... There's a big Covenant fleet in the area. It'll kill them, too. It'll kill them, too. Sweet. And it also prevent Halo from exterminating all life in the galaxy. So it's like, okay. It's like a win-win-win. Yeah, it's a win-win-win. No one else wants this. The <laughs> Covenant want to protect it because they've got a religious fixation on this ring because we basically found their holy ground. And that'll be revealed in the next few games. But it's basically, it's just, we've got all these factions that are warring, and we're just sort of slipping in through. So we infiltrate a besieged Covenant ship to recover the neural implants from our captain who was killed by the flood. Okay. So we get those back because what we need them for is to overload the fusion reactors back on our craft spaceship. So we go back to the wreck of the pillar of autumn and we overload the fusion reactors. And what yeah. What, what does that do? Well, overloading the fusion reactors, they go boom. Sure. It's sitting on the ring, okay. so the ring is destroyed at a certain point, and it tears itself apart. Oh. So, yeah. So it doesn't, like, wipe out, like, it's not the, like the explosion engulfs the ring, but it's basically, it takes it out at a point, and the entire, what's basically a suspension bridge with no end point, right. collapses. Okay. So that is sufficient to get this thing destroyed. So we do that. 343 is really unhappy about that, but he can't really do much because we have taken out of sentinels and keep evading him and um we escape we have we have a thrilling chasing and there is well there's some fighters on board the ship that do have long-range capabilities and we get one of those it's basically enough for one person to get away 
conveniently enough. There you go. So we reach one of those and escape, and we watch the ring get destroyed. Now, I don't th uh, dang it, I didn't leave a note here, but let's go ahead and play clip three just for our final view of this. Of this ring blowing up? Actually, not of the ring blowing up, but just getting to this. Oh, get getting to that point. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I All wanted right. to play this first, but there wasn't a I, I forgot to put it in. I know, I know. Uh, don't worry. I, I do it all the time, too. So, uh, headset warning. I'm going to try and get to the volume as soon as possible. Here this one isn't so bad. It's kind of fun. It's a little bit Oh, Mark, they tried that. They tried that. <laughs> Well, he there was an explosion, and he crawled back into the. What what was that he crawled back into? There was some kind of. Uh, this was hangar? one of one of the um uh the escape like where one of the lifeboats from the Pillar of Autumn oh, launched. Oh right, right, okay. The, so the, those long range was, yeah. was just a bit of banter in case people didn't hear anything, um between the Master Chief and Cortana. Okay. Gotcha. So she's saying like it's falling apart. We're not gonna make it. We're gonna make it. We're not gonna make it. We're not. We're gonna make it. They crash, and then Cortana says. You did on, that on purpose, didn't you? And the chief just pokes his head up at that point. No comment. <laughs> and for Mark, they did try building an army of Terminators. This is in the later game. And those didn't work either. They were kind of effective. But they weren't totally effective. Got it. So that was the campaign phase three. Seems like the end of the game. So what do we have left? End of the game. So, yeah, it's so we've got the game in review. So this was a great campaign. It had a really novel approach to how weapons work in this type of setting. It looked like a modern shooter because it developed the idea for a modern shooter. Because before this, you had games like Doom and Jedi Knights, which practiced this like like stepwise progression in weapons. Mm -hmm. You start with one weapon, then you get another weapon, then you get another weapon and another. And in each phase, they get a little bit more powerful up to the point where you get the rocket launcher, the flat cannon, the BFG 9000. So you had this linear progression. And it's helped build a sense of development in the campaign. This was a meme. Most games did this. Halo didn't have time to balance this out. So what it did instead is that it gave you weapons that were basically all on par with each other, but they're situational. Mm -hmm. There's some circumstances where you'll want the shotgun, not just because it's more powerful. It's like, well, it works better against these enemies. Sure. I could take the rocket launcher, but I'm probably going to run out of ammo pretty quickly. And it has some weird firing characteristics, so I'm also going to make sure I have the assault rifle, even though it's the starting weapon. So it has, what it did is basically, and it, because it restricted you down to two from like ten weapons before, you had to make a tactical choice, which affected your play style, mm -hmm. which in turn made the game different on replays. Because it wasn't like, oh, there's only one thing that works. It's like, well, there's a bunch of things, and this includes, I'm just going to pick up Covenant weapons and go to town on them with it. And there's some that are... Yeah, that they even handled different too because they had different weapon mechanics. Only one could be reloaded. The others were basically disposable. They're just on a battery charge, and once the battery ran out, boom, throw it aside. Huh. That's the way the covenant roll. So right. it had this really a lot like on, not elaborate, but ultimately a really interesting approach to weaponry because it was much more immediate. Because it's like, well, this is intuitive. Like, I can, you know, it's basically which one do I need in this situation. Oh, no, I understand, I understand, I understand. Uh, moving yeah. on, uh, the action, mystery, and depth, you said that uh, 
this was the first game of its kind to actually pull something like this off? Well, yeah, because before this, you had a lot of games that tried to do narrative storytelling. I mean, the closest, I think, before this was Half-Life, that was able to do a really involving story in a first-person shooter and try to get that across. But the thing is, is that the technology was limited, so it was really difficult to sit someone who wasn't familiar with gaming and try to educate them into the narrative medium. The language of gaming hadn't evolved to the point where you can basically, it just, it, it looked what it, it, it looked like what it was. I mean, you have dialogue, but it's like, well, the texture is changing on this face, causing the mouth to move. And then there I go for dialogue. I mean, there really wasn't this analogy that you can draw between cutscenes, action, and really get something that felt cinematic. Mm -hmm. Halo, as far as I'm aware, was the first to really pull something off that had a very slick presentation that held up next to cinematic or a novel or cinematic sci-fi tv anything it's basically it's like it needed no qualifications it was just good Got it. and what this allowed you what like it had a lot of this ability to go through and um give this presentation but core to that presentation wasn't a character drama so you didn't have like characters arguing with each other you didn't have a villain up until level six of ten that provided any sort of nemesis it was a situation and you were exploring the situation and doing it organically so the exploration the imagination the intrigue getting to know the setting learning about it through this conflict because you weren't given a lot of backstory at the top there was no star wars text scroll it's basically you start off with the ship under attack you defend the ship and then you're learning about the covenant war on the ground just by fighting them right so it was very intuitive, very organic, and not a whole lot of games are built like this because what they've done since is lean on character drama and not so much the imagination. Mm -hmm. But on the side of this, though, the sort of the negative points was that some of the environments are repetitive, and there's a very good reason for this. The game was built in one year because while it was published by Microsoft, Bungie went through a bunch of different iterations with this game, moving between different publishing partners and different acquisitions. Microsoft eventually bought them, but they originally developed Halo for the Mac as an RTS. And then they just kept developing it, kept developing it. And by the time they got down to, okay, we got to get this game out, they had a year to make it, and they had most of the content didn't exist. They had some of the assets were starting to get in polished shape. So most of what you play was built in that time so to fill space they repeated some environments but the way combat was structured it still played pretty well because even though it's like it's the same room all the bad guys are different the weapons are different it's basically it's just like it's a multiplayer match and it's now a completely different engagement how oh, okay. i handle it yes different. okay so the art is repetitive but the gameplay isn't so much and oh wait and that's pretty much it for the, the downside. There's a little note here, Chief and Cortana proceed to Halo 2. That should be on the previous slide? I don't know what that one's doing there. Okay. Okay, that just got copied. No, that's not a bad thing that they proceeded to Halo 2, but Halo 2 in itself is kind of more of a downside, okay. <laughs> which we'll get to in a minute. All right. So All right. What do we got next? What it, so what it meant back then was, as I said, it was basically demonstrating the capabilities. God, God, is that a tardigrade? Yeah, it's a tardigrade. It demonstrated the capabilities of sci-fi storytelling and gaming. It really said, this is a maturing medium. We've got relatable characters. We've got a cinematic presentation. Our voice acting is good. Our drama is good. It's well-balanced. 
this is something that stands as mainstream entertainment now. This is not niche anymore. So you, once you get into the control format, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. But this is a really approachable game to anyone who is familiar with sci-fi. So you didn't have to just be into PC gaming and just into the conventions and being able to sort of squint and see what they were getting at with the polygons. The visual representation was now good enough to represent the ideas one-to-one. -to, -one. to actually make a story happen for you. Yeah, and without qualifications, without having to sort of buy into it. And what's more is that because this had two-player co-op and uh, up to 16-player multiplayer, you could share this really easily. And this gave rise to the couch experience where it's like you and your friends or your uh, siblings sit down and play Halo together. You got two people, you go through the campaign, you get more, you have fun in multiplayer. You're just blowing each other up with tanks. Okay. And it sort of allowed this to really sort of take off and become a viral in a physical way because there's no online multiplayer for this. So it basically spread through word of mouth, but still had this expanding following, much more so just a single player game by itself. Mm -hmm. So it became a shared experience. And this gave rise to the gaming culture that in Halo 2 made it online and then sort of defined what the Xbox platform did for online multiplayer because it was based around this core experience. Right. And in addition to that, it also established the Xbox itself. And it was a launch title for the Xbox and it immediately said, this is why you should buy this platform. We've got this amazing game for it. Come give us money. And people did. Like, and, okay, take my money. Yeah. Yep. And it really spurred competition in Western gaming because now it wasn't this duality between um, Sega and Nintendo with Sega on the side. You had a Western competitor bringing in games that might have otherwise just shipped on the PS2 in a limited sense or just on the um, PC. Mm -hmm. So it sort of started bridging the gap between what was a Japanese console experience and Western PC gaming. Okay, got it. And that set the form for AAA. And everything that we have now in terms of blockbusters, sales to rival other media, cult followings, really had its first big flush here. There were other franchises that were really well-respected, Star Wars, X-Wing, that type of thing, but not in the console format and not to this scale. This was our first moment to say, this gaming has arrived and that's yeah. where halo's cultural impact is greatest so moving on though that wasn't quite the end of the story it wasn't halcyon we certainly know that now and the reason for this because the environment changed you go from a much more static environment where you're able to have this niche experience to now mainstream environment which is very socially based mm -hmm. later halo started chipping away at their campaigns investing less doing less innovating less yeah investing more in the multiplayer experience and not the single player experience. because that's what keeps people engaged with the game right. over the long term yes they may be emotionally attached to it but now they've got multiplayer that they can grind at infinitum you want players doing that because it means that they're just that much more likely to to buy your game for the next one. That was the logic back then. It wasn't directly tied to microtransactions. It was just, and there's a little bit of DLC, but not much. But it started off with, well, if they're playing our game, when the next one comes out, they'll probably buy it. And that's where this really started. Hmm. And this really set the stage for things you do to keep players invested in multiplayer, which are the Skinner Box mechanics, which really took hold over the, uh, more, more, much more so over the last half decade or decade. And this is your 
Um, everything you can just throw on doesn't require a lot of investment or a lot of change that's risky. You don't have to change your format. All you have to do is tack on RPG leveling mechanics, unlocks, loot boxes, anything like that. And all of a sudden it's like, well, people are now hooked. And that's the thing. They just want to hook players. So mm -hmm. it changed the dynamics. And while this is happening on the campaign side, because the technology kept improving, now you can do a much more literal translation of what there was on screen. So rather than focusing on what storytelling in gaming was, you could basically just make it look like a movie. Okay. So yeah. you had, but that the downside of that is like, okay, now you start doing character drama. Now you start doing plot and setting and dramatic moments. And the problem is, for Halo in particular, other games, it's there isn't such a um, compatibility, but with Halo, based on the mystique, exploration, getting you invested through setting, much more than characters, this completely flipped the campaign around. Right. So it was much more reductive, much more linear. And what you ultimately had is a company that couldn't write for this very well. So we had really convoluted plots, character settings to the effect of trying to explain what was going on in Halo 3 is really, really difficult. <laughs> I think we actually tried that one time you were but here. Like, basically, yeah. I mean, it's like you have like turns, you have, I mean, they, they really tried it. And in the moment, it was fun. But it's after the fact, it's just realizing you, you, that. Yeah, yeah, you look back and go, wow, that was really, that was, that was, a, ball was, and, that was a ball of mess right there. Yeah, it's because it was trying to live up to something, but without doing what, like trying to learn from it. So it's trying to succeed at what they intended to do with the game. Right. Not what what they realized through okay. basically happy accidents. So it's with, with with Halo Combat involved. What do you think of it? Actually, first though, uh -oh. now do we want to just leave that quote up there for Garthon? Yeah, yeah, he'll see it. Don't worry. Yeah, he'll see it. Garthon, read that quote. If you're listening to the audio version of this, go to the visual, like go to the Twitch or the YouTube, and read the quote that's on the screen right now. <laughs> okay. So, what this ultimately means is that. With Halo, we had such a magnificent experience in visual storytelling that was unique to gaming. This couldn't have been realized in Halo 1. In a book, they tried. It was okay, not, but it was a completely different experience. And you can't do it in a TV show that well because you have to have the drama at the center. This showed that you can have that on the side and really engage with people in a different way that's core to sci-fi. So Halo was really powerful, or Halo 1 was really powerful, and because the others tried to do something completely different in terms of how they approach their narratives and how they invest in their campaign, we haven't had a successor to this game yet. Closest so, sense. And the closest sense is the picture on that screen. That's not Halo. No. That's Titanfall. Yes. Because Titanfall 2 tried to really focus around a core character dynamic. Kind of a Master Chief Cortana type thing. Mm -hmm. You got a robot, you got a human, you got a little bit of a mix of personalities, learning... And even though it does have some pretty heavy, heavy character drama, there is a lot of there's a lot of exploration. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of learning about the situation from experiencing it. And there we go. So it's one of those things where Halo, like first shooter, Halo did a lot of good, but AAA four uh, shooters didn't live up to this. They just kind of went along and did their own thing. Right. And the one ray of hope is that Halo Six is really banking on Halo 1 nostalgia. I don't want to just put it that simply, but there is a little bit of hope that Microsoft might be making a game that is open exploration in the Halo universe. So we'll see. Okay. But for the you know, since 2001, we really haven't been there yet. So So what what do you think up? about about uh, about Halo Combat Evolved? 
I give it five stars, not five star tardigrades. Ah, dang it. But it's a great game. It's got intuitive combat, sprawling environments, compelling intrigue, great visual storytelling, just enough character to give a personality and to sort of invest you in it. And it's really fun. And the downside is just some of the floating environments and or well, sorry, built in the repetitive environments. Yeah. And the physics are a little floaty because it is 2001. Yeah. Yeah. So you're sort of moving around a little bit. You're just sort of in the air, like, woo, vehicles are just sort of flying about. And that's something they do include in later games. But yeah. at the at the drawback mostly to sprawling environments and intrigue and visual storytelling. So with that, the one thing I did want to add at the end of this review is clip four. And that's just showing what there is to offer with the modern versions of the game oh the modern versions of the game okay okay so i'm gonna try because... again i'm gonna try and get to the volume as quickly as i can yeah here we go because i played the master chief collection version which which it in the anniversary you can switch the visuals at, a, at one button press oh yeah look at that so we got modern visual reskin of the entire game Right. Yeah, you just yeah, and then yeah, and then uh, seeing it happen in front of you, like uh, when when I was seeing all of the all of the content in the first three clips, I thought it looks like a, a modern FPS game. But uh, seeing seeing it change right in front of your eyes, actually, wow! I guess modern FPS games really came along. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's one a testament to the art style, but it is one of those things where it it, it is a testament to where this was, where it. The graphics, unlike the N64 and PS1 generation, were no longer sort of inhibiting the storytelling. They were no longer a stubbing block. You could just get over them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, it is what it is. You can recognize that thing is supposed to be a human. Got it. So yeah, it, it was a great game. I highly recommend it. And it is available now through the Master Chief Collection. Or if you have an Xbox 360, you can also get Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition. Right. And it also has... This switch it, uh, switch it at a single button press. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you, Duncan Idaho. That's Duncan Idaho's Neon Spotlight today with uh, Halo Combat Evolved. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on our show. We'd love to have you here. And of course, don't miss an episode. Follow. Follow us on Twitch. Go ahead and uh, click the follow button. And then if you want, hit the subscribe button. Come on. It's not going to hurt. Go ahead and try it. If it feels good. Fire one <laughs> off. See how it feels. Of course, you can then go to YouTube and subscribe and make sure to click the notifications because we drop videos every week and you're going to want to see it. Now, if you want more Garthon, which you didn't get today, then you can look up Garthon's comic poll on, uh, on Twitch and our YouTube and our team-ups, Star Trek Online, Secret World Legends, and Neverwinter, which we just started. We just, just started our Neverwinter campaign. We're still in our, in our uh, uh, late 20s, early 30s levels with first characters, so that's fun. Uh, Garthon streams uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern, Neverwinter with me as a team up, but he has streamed Final Fantasy XIV, Banner Saga, and War Machine Tactics, and you can see all those on YouTube. Now, our RNG. Now, this is the part where Duncan was not uh, looking forward to. This is the reason that yep. Max Yao decided to put all those stupid tardigrades everywhere. Max because is an evil person. He's an evil person. This, this we know. And the reason is because we're going to talk about Space tardigrades, were they stolen by no. CBS? Okay, you say no. You say no. no. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the stage 
with with uh, with some some things that I I know to be fact, and then you come in and try and cut my legs out. All right. Yes. Okay. So between 2011 and 2014, there was a uh, uh, when, when I say indie game developer, I mean one guy, and uh, I believe his screen name is a combat astronaut it's it, it'll, it'll be in, it'll be in the credits but uh he has and a hang on, that, not your turn no. not your turn ns that's that's kind of what he's referred to as okay anas anas okay uh, and an astronaut cartoonist that's it yes yes that's it and now anyway uh he came up with a game called tardigrades and in the game uh the main character uh who is a uh, white blonde guy um befriends a giant blue space tardigrade and uh, uh, with him he can travel to uh, 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 several points in uh, in time and or space uh, almost instantaneously now I have a clip of <sighs> one of the uh, one of the trailers he put out for his gameplay like, like, like I said this was all done between 2011 and 2014 so this this is when this when this clip came out so he had this out in the universe three years before the first episode of Discovery. So I'm going to show it right now. This is your protagonist. And uh, he's floating in a ball of uh, blue light with uh, white shiny particles. And uh, with the help of his uh, blue tardigrade, he can pick anywhere in the world he wants to go to. And he can go to it. This is uh, all virtually in his mind. He's doing this. Yeah, there's this blue space tardigrades. And tardigrades. That's the name of the, of the, oh, it's looping. I didn't want to loop. There you go. All right. And uh, that is the name of the, gray, the game, tardigrades. So where this really falls apart as a CBS thing. Uh-huh. Okay. So first of all, that trailer was released in 2015. Okay. Still, and... still a couple years before. A couple years before CBS. Now, here's the thing about that trailer. There's nothing involving tardigrades in any part of that story or in any clip shown up till July 2017. The same, actually, 10 days before CBS had their first trailer showing scenes with the tardigrade in it, including ten, the sport. 10 days before. 10 days before. Just 10 days. Okay. It is literally impossible that CBS copied this guy because the thing you're seeing on the screen now, that trailer was first posted July 12th. And I did, I, I spent a night researching this. I know you would. I knew he you would. first posted that part, that particular piece of animation, July 12th, 2017, both on YouTube and on his blog. That yeah, is I, I, I got that one from Steam. Yeah. So that is this, this is, and the um, the dates are, pre are present on all this other media, so that's why. Now, is is that last updated or first uploaded? That was first uploaded. That was okay. when he first made his post for this trailer. So he's had this ongoing dev thread showing, "Hey, this is what I'm working on." And this is where the commentary really falls apart on this matter. No one's looked at that, and that is darn important. Because the game is nothing like what you have seen in granular detail. It's a text. It is an adventure game, not a text adventure, just a simple graphical adventure yes. game that takes place within some abstract environments, but primarily Egypt 
20,000 years ago. Okay. Basically Stargate. That's why I said time and or space type stuff. Yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, that's just when the setting is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go back in time. That's when he's from. Awesome. So the setting of the game is basically humanity has been doing stuff in space. Sure. Here is this planet. It's Earth. There are lush, verdant areas in Egypt and one of the locations that's typically desert. Well, is desert now. And there is some kind of experimentation going on. There's some kind of research. And the result of this is the tardigrade stuff. Now, here is the thing about this that really strikes me as like, okay, this is 100% derivative work that is going to be really difficult to claim because he introduces this as, and the environments and the visuals are very much Stargate and particularly SG-1 for the interior of the ship. Okay. He introduces this with a character who is modeled on the actress who played Irulan Carino from Dune and plays her voiceover for this trailer. It is a reimagining of a Dune prequel with tardigrades presumably functioning, and this is just from all the visuals, all the stuff I've seen. The tardigrades and the color scheme too mm-hmm. are Guild Navigator and Sandworm combined into one, and okay. something about them is going to result in a desert. Okay. And what you see in terms of that that first clip with the sort of the the guy that's titled Wormhole. There is nothing to, like, Tardigrades, their role in the story was not established until July of last year, while Discovery was full in production. Before that, the game appeared to be a lift from Stargate SG-1 for the visuals, playing through a reimagining of Dune. Okay. It was not in any way similar to Star Trek Discovery. To the point, and this is one thing I want to say that is absolutely darning about the commentary on this, they, there's that sort of, like, comparison of characters, the character roster is so broad that you're basically going to be able to match this up with a yeah, lot yeah. of Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't bring that up. I, there's a reason I bring that up because thing that holds no water. On that, it holds no water. Fit it to D- Discovery, they did something that is really, really questionable. There is Dr. Culver, who is of Puerto Rican descent. Mm-hmm. The guy they compared him to is a white guy with a brown beard. Yep. And the yeah i don't know i don't know why you're bringing it up i don't know why you're bringing it up it's 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 it, uh, that it's is really like, too stupid to talk about the height of ridiculousness yes. on how this is being presented yes is that this is just part of that poster that you've seen posted online yep. and they changed the ethnicity of the guy by using a still from a shadowy sort of dramatic piece of animation used he got posted on his blog after wilson cruz was cast <laughs> So if you look at the timing for when content was made available, this game did not exist in this form with the blue tardigrade before discovery. Well, 10 days before blue tardigrade came in, like as the logo, it was there. But yes. in terms of what it meant in the story, you had no idea. Okay. There was nothing posted about how this guy inter- like interacted. Well, uh, you, and, I remember you saying something as, about uh, 10 days before uh, uh, CBS announced the whole tardigrade discovery Thing. Well, it's not the announcement. It is the they showed clips where the Tardigrade was either there or directly connected. So yes. the Spore Room, Chase Spore, the Glen. Right. Tardigrade was already established in the show as is. Right. And they aired this ten days before that. after the Blue Tardigrade 
after. Oh, oh, af- after after the 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 but, tardigrade yeah. game. So after the tardigrade game had this blue trailer. So that is the timetable. Oh, okay, okay. So so and you're so 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 what you're saying is that uh, it is much more likely that that uh, both of these ideas came about concurrently. Yes, I mean it, it like because if you tried to replicate the tardigrade game before that trailer you had no idea for how to regulate to place it. You would have had to guess that the guy is using tardigrades as both guild navigator and sandworm okay. from Doom. Then it starts to make more sense, and then you can start making projections, but I didn't see any hints to that or any animation to that. He had a lot of that sort of abstract, like, glowy stuff, but if you actually take a step back for that trailer, that glowy wormhole mm-hmm. is basically a three-dimensional Stargate. Okay. It's got the same color scheme, and he's achieving the ripple effect by just having this rotating mass of blue particles. Right. And it, it sort of works for the simple animation style, and he did yeah. a pretty good job with that. It's just that he's not shy about his inspiration sources. It's Stargate and Dune. And when Discovery was in production, these had nothing to do with each other. I mean, like, or not the two properties, but the, the Tardigrades game and Discovery you could not have accurately replicated it during Discovery's production. And that is the claim. And it's like, look at the dates on the trailers. Look at when content was available. Look at what they had to work with. And look at how other sources of inspiration are directly inspiring both. Because it's Discovery's operating in a modern medium. It's going to have these octagonal hallways because everything has that. Those were in Halo, too. <laughs> I mean, I, Alien, I mean, it's... It's one of those things where it's just like it's completely blown out of proportion and, and the guy has filed the lawsuit. And the one thing I'll have to say on that is that from his point of view, he's justified. But he's been living in an echo chamber, which isn't pointing out this information. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of Internet commentators who have a beef with Discovery trying to find drama in it. And like, no, they totally stole the thing. Yeah, look at the scene. It's like, no, look when it, it was posted. I mean, it's obvious. It's the first point investigation you do. And that's the first thing I did was just like, OK, what what was available when? And it's like, well, now that yeah. that that doesn't prove that CBS didn't sell it. Just it just makes it highly unlikely. Just highly unlikely. It's literally impossible to revamp a production like this in such a sort of time. Like I, I wouldn't say that because how the hell do you even do that? I mean, just from the props department, the special effects. It would have. This is all CGI. Have... It's not even a prop. I mean, it, it, the. Uh... CGI models still take time to make. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 true. They they they, they do take time to make, but you know, do, really, you you could have placed any any uh, uh, otherwise unused spaced animal, except tardigrade. Well, that's the thing is work. that that's where this really falls apart is that, and why it's such a neat point of convergent evolution is that the tardigrade thing is sort of a neat point in popular science. Neil deGrasse Tyson evangelized this guy in Cosmos 2.0. NASA did some really high-profile experiments. Yeah, back in, back in 2011, in, 2014, when, uh, when this guy it, started making this game. Yeah. yeah, and this is not Star Trek-related. This is just internet sort of pop culture stuff. Yeah, right. Tardigrades are relatively popular, and they gain some notoriety in science because it's like, hey, look at this weird animal. It's kind of like, not to the scale of, but it's similar to the appreciation of dinosaurs. It's sure. a cool animal. Yeah. And the thing about it, it's so alien that you can plop it down in a sci-fi setting and it works pretty well. Sure. And the macroscopic scale. And where Discovery of logic comes into is that they had this fungal network and they needed to populate it with an animal that sort of scales up. Tardigrade works perfectly for that. Tardigrade is so entirely self-consistent with that logic. 
it's also self-consistent with the game's logic of basically doing an Arrakis prequel mm -hmm. or Doom prequel showing how Arrakis basically formed on Earth through a Stargate setting. Okay, so, so wait a minute. So to, and Sandworm. To, to sum up, you are saying that uh, both the game developer and CBS came to similar conclusions from different lines. From it's completely different lines of thought. Yeah, it's completely different lines of thought, and the the uh, game isn't so original that's like, oh, no one else could have thought of this. No, he was just going off of Dune, because basically you look at a sandworm and you look at a Gill Navigator, average the two, you get a tardigrade. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And, okay. And it, it is very, really, really clear he's referencing it because he okay. does pull audio from the movie right. Dune. I got you. I got you. I got uh, you. So anyway, and you know what? So so uh, here at Leisure Myth, we're gonna call it. Uh, yeah. CBS did not steal the, the the idea of a space tardigrade. Uh, yeah. Now it's it's entirely possible that uh, that they both came up with, with the same idea, or or uh, uh, the 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 uh, the creator of the, of the game came up came up with the idea of a space tardigrade first. But C CBS got there from a completely different point of view, not yeah. from taking of his original work. So yeah. there you go. So. There you go. Bam. That's what we're talking about. And that's the end of our RNG. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about, Duncan Idaho, or anyone Absolutely. in chat. No, that, that was plenty long enough. Plenty long enough. Okay. Anyone in chat have anything they they want to talk about that uh, that does not uh, does not have any tardigrades in it, on it, or around it. Not, Max. Well, <laughs> then yes. Uh, there we go. Uh, Mar Hawkman says one scene has a duplicate of the loader from Aliens. Oh yeah, that too. Uh, I'm out of I'm out of soda. All right. Well, it it doesn't look like that uh, that we have anyone who's coming in. That's that's fine. That's just fine. Yeah. Uh, you, you can see our other streamers, Max Leao and Algarian. Uh, Max Leao streams Thursdays and Fridays. Uh, his latest episode has been West of Loathing, which ha which is a stick figure uh, puzzle solving uh, shoot 'em up in in the Western era. And it's fun to watch. It's fun to play. It's, it's it's not hard. I'm not talking like, oh, agonizing puzzle or anything like that. There, there's only been one puzzle where we're like, why is this so hard? This seems kind of stupid. But all the other puzzles are like, oh, get this thing from this guy and give it to this guy and you win the quest. Like, oh, okay. It, it, mostly it's, it's comic. That's what it is. That's what makes it fun. And on Fridays, usually we have a team up between uh, me and... Uh, Max Liao, Noro, and whenever Elgarian gets his computer back from the computer killers, uh, we'll all team up in a game called uh, Looter Kings. L Looter King is uh, you are a, a goblin, and you are looting a dungeon. And you, you, you go through, and you, you fight your way through the dungeon, looting as you go. And uh, uh, there, is a, there is a strong uh, team-up mechanic where to to beat bosses you have to team up but there's also there's going to be a winner at the end and it's the person with the most loot you're the looter king so there's also a steal from your teammate mechanic so it's hard to, it's hard we, we we've we've mastered level one we have not mastered level two yet uh because we have not no number one we have not had our fourth person come up with us and number two we have not mastered uh the idea of both sharing and taking away and of course, uh, YouTube Tabletop Gaming, Max Liao has a new uh, series coming out for YouTube only called Earthdown Addison Disciplines. Uh, from what I understand, he's going to do an overview and then he's going to start with the Swordmaster. This is, this is what I'm hearing. 
Okay, it's uh, all about the the Swordmaster discipline in the Earth Dawn tabletop RPG. And then when Algarian comes back, he'll be streaming Shroud of the Shroud of the Avatar Forsaken Virtues Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Central Time. Oh, the episode dropped last night. You you can look at it right after the stream. You can go to uh, to Legion of Myth at uh, at YouTube and see his uh, discipline apps overview. And uh, uh, for Elgarian, the uh, his Soda links are role, role players of the Avatar uh, RPO.com and Soda Help. If you are playing the game and you need some help, you need a wiki. This is this is your deal. This is your this is your jam. And of course, I want to uh, thank everyone for coming by and liking. And subscribing and being awesome would be cool. Uh, you can see us more on Twitter, YouTube, Discord. Uh, jump on our Discord using this, and you can talk to us live when we're there. And you can leave messages mess messages for us when we are not. And of course, you can support us with a Patreon subscription and Streamlabs, the gear that one of us isn't wearing, and uh, of course, cheering directly. And uh, do you have anything else you want to say? Oh, there's more floating tardigrades. Oh my god. Tardigrades are your friends, give them scores, absolutely. Thank you everyone everyone for coming and everyone has a great day.